Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, I am joined by the fantastic Dave Hendrick, you can find on Twitter at EPL Index, and that can only mean one thing. This is the 2022 Summer Transfer Window Review. Part one has already happened. That happened over on his uh, show, which is tweeted out through the EPL Index. It's called the Two-Footed Podcast. It's a great daily show, so be sure to check that out. Obviously, be sure to check out the first part of this, in which we went through Arsenal to Leeds. Um, but before we jump into Leicester on our show today, Dave, I just wanted to ask a general question, which is, I'm sure you saw the spending figures between the different mm. leagues in Europe, and the Premier League was like, so hilariously above everyone else. And I think each fan of each club has noticed this because it's becoming much harder to sell players to the continent and getting anywhere near what we would consider fair value. What do you think the impact is of the other European leagues simply not having the money to pay the kind of money that Premier League players are on both wage-wise and when they move on transfer fees? I think it's a worrying trend, um, certainly in terms of competitive nature across the board like Bayern can afford big money and the big two in Spain well once Barca sort of get themselves sorted but they spent a lot this summer but outside of them like Juventus tried to play with the big boys for a while put themselves in a massive hole Inter tried to play with the big boys ended up having to sell off some players Milan have been in financial trouble for a decade like it is very concerning, unless you're selling to Bayern, Real, Barca, or PSG, you're not going to get good value. And if you're selling to them, they're coming for your best players. They're not coming for the, the fellow who, you know, is on the bench and is probably good enough to start for a lot of other clubs. They're coming for your best players, so that's not a help either. And obviously, they're only going to be shopping from the top clubs as well, so they're not they're not going to buy from Leeds or I, I know Rafinha went that maybe that's a bad example, but they're not going to buy from, you know, Southampton or, or Brentford or Bournemouth. They're going to be looking to buy from the big clubs to get the best players. So it is going to make things much more difficult. And we are going to think have to see some sort of breaking point with this because the fees just can't keep rising the way they have been. Yeah, and we thought there was going to be like larger suppression because of COVID, but it seems like the Premier League's just fine and it just hit everyone else. So, yeah, either Premier League prices are going to have to come down or wages are going to have to come down or literally it'll just be like this separate entity where like as soon as you're in the Premier League, as soon as you're on those wages, you never want to leave because you're able to just keep collecting that. Or as we talked about in the last show, you just go on loan to like Turkey or something yeah. uh, <laughs> until your contract yeah, runs out. That's and it. then. Yeah, then you reset your own market. Which, by the way, in case people haven't been watching, if you have a Premier League footballer that you really liked 
anywhere from like four to eight years ago. They're playing in Turkey right now. Pretty yeah, confident. You, you can't find them in the Premier League. They're in <laughs> Turkey 100%. <laughs> with a Premier League club paying about 50% of their wages. Yep. But the other thing about it, Kev, is like we obviously had the Super League shenanigans 15, 16 months ago. And the big pushback against that came from Sky and BT. And the reason for that is because there already is a Super League. It's just called the Premier League. Mm. And it it has the money that no other league can afford. And like I said, there are four clubs in the rest of Europe in all of the other big five, a big, big six leagues, because I'd include Portugal as a, a big league as well. And there's four clubs between those five leagues outside of England that can afford the type of money for fees and wages that the Premier League can. That's not sustainable. Yeah, agreed. So we'll see how that transpires, but that's that's kind of how we're viewing it. <laughs> All right, let's start off with Leicester. Uh, this might be a quick one. I'm going to start off with a quote. With the greatest respect, we have not had the help in the transfer market that this team needed. That's what Brendan Rodgers had to say, so I don't, I don't really need to expand too much, I don't think. Um, the one thing that I'll say on Leicester is that this is like obviously an F, hilariously an F. But what I will say is they've kind of started the rebuild process on their own. And I was talking to Jim Knight on Twitter the other day. He's a great Leicester guy, uh, works in industry. Follow him if you want Jim Knight tweets. Anyway, I was saying like, is this not now like the perfect landing spot for Pochettino? Not much budget. You could like build the like unity of the squad back. You've already gotten rid of the some of the aging and want away players, the problems in the dressing room. You have a super talented young core still. Poch wanted Tielemans and uh, Madison both before they moved to Leicester. Um, so like this is obviously an F in every single regard, mm. but that doesn't mean that they're going to be terrible for the next five years. I think they've actually kind of cleared things out a little bit. So whoever comes in next might be able to imprint themselves on it a little faster. It's it's 100% an F, let's be clear. They needed, going into the window, they needed a partner for, for, for Fafana. They needed to sell Tielemans because he's out of contract next summer and they needed a replacement for him. They needed a long-term first-choice goalkeeper. Then they sold Fafana and sold their first-choice goalkeeper, so they needed a second centre-back and a first-choice goalkeeper. They got one centre-back in, in, in Wout Faze, who is, is decent, but he's not anyone that ever jumped out when I watched him play. I watched Reims a few times because I really liked the keeper and I wanted to see Ekatiki when he was all the hype about going to Newcastle. Hmm. And I have to say, this centre-back never jumped out at me as someone that I thought, oh, Liverpool should keep an eye on him. So um, we'll wait and see how he does. Don't want to judge him before he's played, obviously. I think the truth of it here, Kev, is that they didn't want to give Brendan Rodgers more money to spend. I think that's the truth of it. I think they cleared out Schmeichel. They let uh, Jakobovic go. They loaned Hamza Chowdhury. They loaned George Hurst. And they sold Fafana, I think, to build a bit of a war chest for when the next manager comes in. But you look at the contract situations of Thielemans and Didi and Madison. All of those contracts run out before within the next two years. All of them are gone by 2024. That's not ideal. Not ideal at all. So I I don't know what the plan is. I, I don't think they're a big enough club to attract Pochettino. My preferred landing spot for Pochettino is Villa. Mm. Because it's a huge club. They actually have money. Very, 
very ambitious owners, plenty of money to spend, a decent squad to walk into. I think that's where he should go. For Leicester, I was actually thinking Graham Potter could be a really good fit, but obviously he's gone to Chelsea now. But yeah, look, uh, they brought in uh, Faze, the centre-back, and Alex Smithies, who was only available because he went on trial at Bournemouth the week before, and they didn't want him. So they've, they've, they've downgraded centre-back, they've downgraded in goal because Danny Ward's not good enough. They haven't refreshed in attack, and I think they, they needed a little bit of a refresh there. At least one, maybe a right winger or something to come in and give them a bit of balance because Barnes on the left, Madison is the 10. They've got a couple of good nines, and they've still got Vardy who can still get all the goals. Um, I, you know, I like a lot of the players that are there. I think it's a really talented squad. But my overall feeling is they didn't want to give Brendan Rodgers money to spend because I think they're at the point now where they have seen through him. They've seen that he's lost the dressing room. His message is not getting across. It's what happens at every club. He has made every defender at that club worse in his time there, which is a remarkable achievement that only Brendan is capable of. I think it's time for them to make a change in manager and reset. They'll be fine. They'll stay up. There's enough talent. They need to reset this season and start to to look at what's next for Leicester City. Yeah, I agree. And it kind of makes it weird. Like some of the clubs we've already talked about of like, in hindsight, will this look like a bad window? Or will it look like, oh, thank goodness they saved all their money for whoever was next instead of giving it to him. But in the interim, it looks like you've done a lot of potential damage to your club. Um, but yeah, that's that's a bit of an odd one. Uh, we'll come now to you to talk about Liverpool. Yeah, um, <laughs> this window looks even worse now than it did during the summer. So they needed five players going into the window. They needed a starting central midfielder, a starting striker, a backup right back, a backup midfielder, an attacking midfielder, wide player type, and a backup central midfielder. They got Darwin Nunes, so that's good. They got Ramsey. Wouldn't have been the right back I'd have chosen because he's a child. Um, would Carvalho, very talented, but again, wouldn't have been the one I'd have gone for because, again, he's a child. And then they brought in Arthur on the final day on loan, who's a good player, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, but he's not getting anybody too excited. The biggest need was the central midfielder, and they failed to address it. And it was... So painfully obvious all of last season that Liverpool needed a starting centre midfielder as Jordan Henderson forgot how to play football week after week. Now, with the injuries, with the Naby Keita situation, uh, with the fact that we're having to watch James Milner um, cease to exist before our very eyes, with Klopp's efforts to make Harvey Elliott into something that he's just never going to be, it's a so... It's so glaring now that they this summer has been a failure. I said... I assume you I, don't think very much of Mello then. No, I think he's a good player, but he's not a starting centre midfielder for a team that wants to win the Premier League. He's a fine backup. He's a fine cover for Thiago. So if Thiago's playing, Mello's on the bench. And when Thiago's injured or needs a rest, Mello plays then. But you can't really play both of them. It's a very slow midfield if you play both of them. Um... They needed a starting centre midfielder. They needed somebody who could add something, either pace and power or more defensive awareness, you know, like a, a Moises Casado type would have been ideal. Matthias Nunes, who they could have signed, would have been ideal. Yves Basuma would have been ideal. 
many of these midfielders who moved, Onana, Decore, these guys would have been excellent signings. And Liverpool sat on their hands. And I said in early preseason, if James Milner starts a single Premier League or Champions League game for Liverpool, the summer transfer window has been a failure. He has started two Premier League games and a Champions League game and been largely dreadful in all of them. And the summer transfer window has been a failure. So I am giving it a D. Yeah, I, I'm a slightly more kind. Uh, well, again, this is kind of the thing where, like, if we had done this, you know, before the season started versus doing it now, things feel like they've changed a lot. So I oh, probably they, they would have gotten a C minus. That's ex- the that's started. exactly what I've given you. Yeah, but like, uh, I remember last year um, after the Spurs match, which might have been April. Um, how how angry Liverpool fans were about some of the decisions that had happened in that match. And one of the things that we talked about on the next show was that, like, for Liverpool fans, every loss feels so much more significant because that's three points that are going to be incredibly hard to make up on City. And it kind of feels like there have already been too many, too many drop points to to get into the title this year. Uh, City are, don't have a perfect record yet, uh, already. They're about to play Tottenham. Well, certain events pending, and Tottenham do have a very good success against Pep. But yeah, it now it looks much worse than it did at the time. Um, yeah, you make a lot of good points. I, I thought um, the Nunez signing was a really good one. I thought Mane and Selium was probably the right choice because you obviously had yeah. Jota who already seemed like the replacement, and then you bring in um, uh, <laughs> I just blanked on his name, but uh, player the Tottenham one. Yes. Thank you. Uh, the Tottenham obviously wanted to bring in Prekulisevsky, which by the way. I think just really worked out for both clubs. I worked think they out each perfectly got for the... both clubs. Yeah. Um... See, the, prob- the problem is not... Those deals are fine. The problems are we needed an extra wide attacker and we signed a child and we needed a backup right back so that when Trent went through a bad Oof. run of form or was tired and needed a rest, we had a grown-up to come in and start. And instead, we've got James Milner because Ramsey is 19 years of age. And... You're not winning the league if you're relying on 19-year-olds. People need to go and look at what kind of minutes Phil Foden was playing and where he was playing them and when he was playing them when he was 19. Because Pep has set the blueprint and Pep has set the bar in this league for what you need to be. And I know we don't have their money, but we don't need their money. We, We operate on, well, we used to operate in a smarter way than City and we just don't do it anymore. And I like I like Carvalho. I think he's going to be a really good player. I think Ramsey's going to be a good player. They're they're very talented young players, but they are kids. And yeah. like I said, we're, we're playing Kev. If I told you that you have never in your life seen anybody play as badly for Tottenham as James Milner did last <laughs> night for Liverpool, and I mean that sincerely, that is the single worst performance. I've ever seen by anybody in Liverpool shirt. And the second worst was his performance on Saturday when he was Ooh. brought on at right back and Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray just took turns in running past him as if he wasn't there. Is it just a year too far? It's three years too far. <laughs> it's three years too far. His initial contract ran out in 2005, in 2000, and he should have been let go then because he's been awful. He wasn't good in that title-winning season, and he's been dreadful since. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely a disappointing window and a disappointing start. 
to the season thus far for Liverpool. And it's only made worse because of the next club we're going to talk about, which is Manchester City. Um, frankly, it's offensive to me that they managed to put together a better squad despite winning four of the last five Premier League titles. They sell Jesus, upgrade to Erling Haaland, who already has 10 goals in the Premier League at time of recording. Uh, Fernandinho leaves. He was aging himself out. Uh, and then they replaced him with Calvin Phillips, uh, which was incredible business. They sold Zinchenko. And technically, they replaced him with Sergio Gomez. But really, they replaced him with Cancelo, who apparently they're just fine with playing as a left winger, basically. Um, but Gomez, not, not a terrible player in and of its own right. Uh, they sold Sterling to make room for Grealish. I'm sure people will have opinions about that. But... They couldn't keep not playing somebody that they just spent $100 million on. Whether that proves to be a mistake is kind of its own decision, but um, that, that one made sense to me as well. Um, and obviously, it's good to refresh your squad. It's good to bring in younger faces, which, to be fair, they've been doing basically every year for like the last four or five years. They seem to always lose an elder statesman at the club, um, and they keep doing that. Um, but it's crazy to me that they've done all of this in my opinion, empirically have gotten better. Uh, I know some people don't know that opinion. but And they also did it with a positive net spend, which I didn't look back. But that cannot have happened many times since the, the, the ownership took over. Um, for me, it's an A. From a business perspective, from a footballing perspective, from a squad refreshing perspective, from a this might keep Pep there longer perspective, I, I think this is a really good window. Oh, this is, this is a great window. This is a great window. Um, like you said, I mean, they, they did really good business with their sales on Sterling, Jesus and Zinchenko. Now, I would have kept Sterling as well, but he had a year left in his deal and he had made it clear he wasn't going to re-sign, so you might as well sell. Um, they sold a bunch of young players, Basunu, Lavia, Poro, Larios, um, Itakura and Muric. They brought in a bunch of money and then they spent a bun- bunch of money. They needed a, a starting striker they got the best one they could find in Erling Haaland they needed a backup defensive midfielder and they got the best one they were going to find in Calvin Phillips they needed um I thought they needed a backup right back is the one thing they haven't done but they needed a backup left back once Sinchenko went and, and they brought in uh Gomez they brought in Stefan Ortega as well uh, as a backup keeper because they let Zach Steffen go to Middlesbrough. And then they brought in a Kanji because they had a need for a centre-back because of injuries, and they just went and addressed it because that is what a very smart club does, mm. is when they have an issue, they go and address it. And obviously they brought in Alvarez as well. He'd been on loan uh, back at uh, River Plate for the last year, but I'm including him in this window because he arrives in this window. This is an A plus. This is an A plus window. There, there'll be very few clubs that have had a better window. Like I said, the only thing they didn't do was bring in a back, a right back. But Zinchenko or Zinchenko, uh, Canseo can play right back. Yep. And Aki can play left back, and they've got Sergio Sergio Gomez. So find a weakness in their squad. There just isn't one. The, the, the weakest link is probably Jack Grealish, who cost a hundred million pounds. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, it's obscene. It's obscene. But yeah, absolutely an A plus for me. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, well, uh, we'll switch to the other side of Manchester, where I just realized you managed to get Everton, Liverpool, and Manchester United on the show. So have fun. Good, isn't it? Good. Um, right, going into the window, they needed a starting right back. They have not addressed that. They needed a starting centre back. 
they paid fifty two and a half million pounds, I believe. Yeah, fifty two and a half million pounds for a centre back who's five foot nine and was available for around thirty five million before United got involved. Because Arsenal bid thirty and were sort of told thirty five will get him. Then United got involved and all of a sudden the price went up. Um He's a good player. I just don't believe in him as a centre-back in the league. He's played six games so far. He hasn't won an aerial duel in five of them. He's only won aerial duels in one game against Southampton, against five-foot-nine Che Adams. So, you know, make of that what you will. There's big, bad tests coming for him, and I think he's going to find himself in some trouble. Uh, they need the starting defensive midfielder, and credit to them, they did go and get a great defensive midfielder in Casemiro. But I don't really like the deal because they're a rebuilding team who should be looking at younger players for the long term and moving on from the overpaid, overrated, underperforming David De Gea's and Rafael Varane's and Cristiano's of the world and getting younger and maybe set Bruno Fernandes as the cap of your age. Nobody older than him, everybody younger. But they bring in Casemiro. Look, he's a tremendous player and the price isn't... 60 million is not a great price, but it's not a bad price either. Now, my belief is that he is slightly on the decline, but we'll wait and see how he does. All things considered, you're not going to slate them too much bringing in a player of that calibre. Um, they needed a starting central midfielder. I don't believe they bought him, but they seem to think Christian Eriksen is that player. So if that's it, that's it, that's fine. He's obviously a very good player. They needed a backup keeper. They brought in Martin Dubravka. Uh, and I, I quite like Dubravka. I think he's a, as do I. a solid citizen. You know, as a backup, you can't, can't go really wrong. They needed... Sorry, they, I didn't think they needed a back, uh, uh, any kind of left back, but they brought in Malashia. And to his credit, I've been fairly impressed so far. He, he's all right, like he's decent. And you got him at a good price. And then they brought in Anthony. And I really don't like this deal. Because for me, he's a £40 million winger at most. This guy had like 10 goals and four assists last year in the Eredivisie. Or even less than that. It might have been nine goals and four mm. assists. Like, and they've paid top-tier money for him. Like, 85 million for him. At, if he maxes out his ability, I'm not sure he's an 85 million pound player. Like, I'm not sure what he does that's at an elite level. He's a very talented manipulator of the ball. But he does all this flash dribbling that leads to very little. He doesn't have great burst-away pace. He's a decent finisher, and he scored a good goal against Arsenal, but that was large down to Arsenal's defence, been a mess. I, I just don't like the deal at all. And you haven't addressed right back. Now, Delo has started the season okay, but we've seen him before. We know that it's a false dawn. And I'm just not overly keen on the idea of an Eriksen, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes midfield three. So I think United fans are probably happier with the window than they should be because they got flashy names and spent a lot of money. But for me, it's a B. It's nothing more than a B window. 
I shockingly, I, as you were talking, I was like, oh, this feels kind of harsh. And then you gave them a higher grade than I did, um, which is pretty impressive. I, I gave them a C uh, just because uh, do you feel that they have a significantly better chance to make the top four after this window than they had before it? No, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, this no. kind of feels like treading water, but having a negative 200 million net spend to get there and and you aren't getting younger or better for the future i mean i guess if you look at it you're like okay malaysia martinez antony are are the part of the team that'll be there in the future but i don't know i i'm very confused as to what the goal this is team here spent 35 million on ahmed diallo <laughs> yes and that's I've true just, that's i've true. loaned him out again to a lower league team yeah why have you because, not just kept him over Anthony? Yeah, it's yeah, very, it's very. Like, what strange. is Anthony going to give you that he couldn't give you with some, with some coaching? And the other thing for me as well is, or just give Alanga a chance. Yeah, like just play the players you have. Like, what? Why do you need to spend eighty six? If you've got that kind of money, go and buy a striker. Go and buy a number nine. Some of the lads you put the mm. ball in the net. So you're not playing Rashford and Martial there all year because yeah. they can't play Cristiano. It's been proven the last four games they're a lot better without him. They were better without him. He arrived, they were crap. They're better without him now. He's out of the team. But the thing is, the funniest part of their whole window, a whole summer is they bring in Ten Hag. Their fans get all excited. We're going to play like City. He's a pep disciple. We're going to play like City. They play like City and they get beaten at home by Brighton and then walloped by Bourne, uh, by Brentford. And then he takes off his mask and reveals that he's actually Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. And Very similar tactics. It's been really yes, weird. Ollie Ball the last four games. And they've won four in a row. And if they beat Palace at the weekend, it'll be five in a row. And the last time that happened with fans, with fans, was under Ollie just after he took over. His first six games when he took over as caretaker, they won their first six. Since then, they've only done it once. There was no fans there, so it doesn't count. But... I, but I'm it's not, also damaging them long term. Like he had yeah. to start winning matches to keep his freaking job. Yeah. But they need to transition away. But they can't because De Gea can't pass the ball. No, De Gea can't pass the ball. You can't play a high line with Maguire because he's too slow. So you have to play Martinez, which means any team with a big physical number nine is going to target him and batter him. Like. Mitrovic? Oh, 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 Lord. Mitrovic will, will kill him. Kill him. He might bring him home and make him his new toy. Like, go up and down the league. Like, uh, Ollie Watkins, he'll destroy him. Ivan Tony's already done it. Danny Welbeck caused him problems. Brogia will murder him. Um, Mateta, he'll cause him massive problems. So will Calvert-Lewin. Mitrovic, you mentioned. Um... Le- Leeds Leicester don't have that type of striker. Darwin Nunes would have eaten them alive. Uh, Haaland? He's going to go up against Haaland? Oh, no. Um, you know, like, uh, Isak will, will torture him in the air. Uh, there's just, you know, even, like, he's not the biggest, but Harry Kane is great in the air. And Richarlison has an immense leap on him. So, if those two play, that's problems. Skamaka? Unfortunately, oh, Sasa Kalasic got injured because he would have had eight inches in height. He wouldn't have even needed to jump <laughs> and he'd have been winning aerial duels. Like, 
I just, I don't like it. I think you're going to ask Casemiro to do far too much running in midfield, which is, is no longer his strong point. And I, I see you having two wingers who will get the ball, do lots of step overs and not do a whole lot else because there's going to be no real support coming from the fullbacks because Delo and Malasia aren't good enough to warrant the attention of fullbacks. So the fullback will stay glued to Anthony and to Sancho. And I, I think it'll be a mess. Um, so you've gone C. Maybe I should, maybe I should downgrade to B minus. <laughs> I'll go B minus then. <laughs> downgrading to B minus. On we go. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. We'll move on to Newcastle next, who um, I don't think made the like mega city-esque splash that people thought. But it was still negative 122 in that spend. Um, but for that money, they got Pope and goal, Sven Boatman at the back. Obviously, they had Gimmerish from January in midfield, and Alexander Isak now at the tip. And that's probably the spine of this team going forward. Like, there are a lot of players in this team that will not be starters for Newcastle in two years. But all of them probably will be, even when the rest of the others are replaced with other stars. Um, th- this wasn't splashy, it didn't feel like, um, but uh, I-, I think a lot of this is really good business. Isak is probably the most fascinating one, because um, <laughs> people forgive me to-, to bring up fantasy sports at this time. Obviously, it was my job for a while there. Um, this feels like when you're trying to rank an injury player, like an injury-prone player, and so like you'll rank somebody like eighth at their position, when in reality, if they're healthy, they're third, and if they're hurt, they're going to be like 30th. And you just like couch the two. That's what Isak's feel, fee feels like to me. Of like, if Isak reaches his potential, this is an incredible deal for them. And if he doesn't, this is an overpay. So they've just like, they bid this money for the level of player that he'll never be. He'll either be way better than that price or not good enough to, to warrant that price. My personal feeling is that he'll get there. Obviously he didn't have the best of years last year. Is Eddie Howe the guy that's going to get it out of him? maybe, maybe not. Is Eddie Howe going to be their manager when it's a team of 11 stars? Maybe, maybe not. But I, I loved that deal. And the fact that they were working on it basically all summer, finally got it done there towards the end. Um, and I'm sure that they had extra incentive with Callum Wilson having another hamstring thing going on. Chris Wood never really hit the ground running for them. Actually, I'm going to take that back. I think a lot of people think Chris Wood has been a bust at Newcastle, and he's actually been really helpful for them in their build-up play. He just hasn't scored some of the chances that he's had. Um, but anyway, I, I think this is a, a pretty good window. It, they spent more than I thought they did. Like I said, I was like, oh, well, they didn't have this like crazy window. Obviously, FFP exists to some extent. Um, but yeah, I've gone for a B+. I think that's very fair. I think it's a very strong, very clever window. Um, but like you said, not the splashy window that some people were expecting. I had them needing um, starting keeper. They got Pope, who's a very good keeper. Starting left back, they kept Matt Target. They're obviously playing Dan Byrne there as well. So that position's set. Starting centre back, they got Botman, who I think is tremendous. He's a little bit slow, but you can mitigate that. I thought they needed another starting centre-back to partner him. They haven't done that. I thought they needed one starter in midfield to go with Gimerish and Jolington and a starting winger. Because um, I didn't think they'd buy a starting striker this summer. But they got Isak, who, like you said, he's either... 
if you look at the best young strikers in the world, right, take out the two aliens, take out Haaland and Mbappe, that other group with Nunes and Osman and Vlahovic and mm. Isak and whoever else you want to put into that group, I think he might be the most talented of all of them. Yeah, I agree. And I think he, he might have the highest ceiling of all of them. But I think he's got the lowest floor of all of them as well. Like, he is boom or bust, as you said. There is no middle ground with him. He will be great or he will be awful. Early signs are he's going to be great. And I would back him to do it because I think he's got the right mindset. I think he's got the right people around him. And he seems like a really grounded young player. So while they didn't get in the three positions, the other three positions I thought they need to fill, I'm actually going to reward them for that because it would have been easy to panic and throw money around. They didn't. They're doing this in stages, which to me is com commendable. I'm going to give them an A minus because I think Isak and Botman in particular are absolutely outstanding buys. To get the pair of mm. them in for 96 million, like both of them would be starting for Manchester United right now. And combined, they cost yeah. 11 million more than Anthony. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, that <laughs> is a. Uh... Certainly compelling stuff. Uh, all right, now we'll come to you. This will probably take about an hour to talk about the 20-some-odd <laughs> players that Nottingham Forest have brought Nottingham in. Forest. And in case people haven't seen, literally between the time that I downloaded all of their signings to us recording this, they've also signed Serge Aurier. They have. Now, let's be clear. They had to sign an entirely new squad because they lost most of their squad in the summer. Uh, between players who were out of contract, players who were in on loan, and players who just flat out weren't good enough for the Premier League. They had to sign a lot of players. So, um, initially, I had them needing, needing seven, but I wasn't factoring in how many were going to leave. So I had them needing starting goalkeeper, they got Dean Henderson. Starting centre-back, they got Niakata. Starting wing-backs, they got Williams and Richards. Starting central midfielder, Orel Mangala. Starting attacking midfielder, they brought in Jesse Lingard, so I marked him down first. And a starting striker in a one -E. Those were just the things they needed, without question, needed going into the summer. I like every one of those moves. I think they overpaid a little bit for Nico Williams. and I'm not the biggest fan of Lingard, but I think it's a very clever signing. Then they went book wild. They bring in Morgan Gibbs-White. I love Morgan Gibbs-White. I Same. would have taken him at Liverpool in a heartbeat. They brought in Emmanuel Dennis. I think it's a brilliant signing. One of the better signings of the summer. They brought in Julien Bianconi from Troyes, who can play centre-back and wing-back. They brought in Remo Freuler, which I think is one of the most underrated bits of business anyone did this entire window. Harry Toffolo, who's a solid enough backup left back. You wouldn't really want him starting. Lewis O'Brien's very good. I think he'll be a very good third midfielder if you're playing in midfield too. He's the one you can bring in to rest others. Uh, e Joe Huang, they've brought in and loaned out for the season. They brought in Willie Bolly for depth at centre-back. It's just depth at centre-back and it cost them two million, so that's fine. They brought in Josh Bowler 
He was a talented player, but he is a winger and they don't play with wingers. So I'm not really sure what the purpose was other than to loan him to Olympiacos. I've no idea who Brendan Aguilera is or what he does, but I know he plays an attack. I'm guessing he's fairly talented. They brought in Wayne Hennessy as a backup keeper, and that's fine. They got Czech Coyate, which I think is a clever move, can play in the back three or in yeah. midfield, gives you depth and experience. And I love the loan signings. I think Dean Henderson on loan was outstanding. But Renan Lodi is an exceptional left-back. I think that's a great signing. Why and did Lodi- it Letty want him gone and then replace him with Regulon? God knows. It's just, I a, think, it's I just a weird swap. I, I think they're pretty similar level. It just yeah. felt unnecessary. It, it felt very unnecessary. I wonder if Simeone and Lodi had had a bit of a falling out. There's probably, when you're an attacking fullback, there's probably only so long you can play under Diego Simeone before <laughs> he starts fair. to lose your mind. But they brought in Loic Bade as well, who I, I think he's outstanding. Like a huge prospect at centre-back who they've got an option to buy on. And I think they'll definitely be taking that up. So I know, and, and they did bring in Serge Aurier as well as backup to Nico Williams. So I know it's an awful lot. It's, it's mental. It's an entire new squad. But most of it was needed. And what it does is it means if they stay, if and when they stay up, and I believe they will stay up, they won't need to do much next summer. They can turn those Henderson, Lodi, and Bade deals into permanent deals. They've got options to buy on both Lodi and Bade. They might not be able to afford Dean Henderson, but they'll find a goalkeeper. And that's it. Like they can let Lingard leave in a year. Because they've got Gibbs White, who can play that position. Brennan Johnson can also play that position. They won't need to keep Lingard beyond this year. Steve Cooper is a master at working in short periods of time with a thrown-together squad. He did it with England. He did it with Swansea for two straight years. He took over a Forest team who were nailed to the bottom of the championship and took them up. They were the second-best team in the league from the day he took over until the end of the season. I'm giving them an A, and I know people might scoff, but I think they've done really well. And there's there's not really a signing there that I don't look at and think, that's very clever. I think it's all very pointed. I think they've gone with high upside players, and I think potentially they've grabbed themselves a couple of stars in Gibbs White and Bade, players they could turn into mega sales in years to come. Yeah, I, I feel kind of uncomfortable giving this a grade. I pointed out on, on our show that the crazy window, where everyone was like, Fulham, you can't sign that many players in one window and expect to be good, was 12. <laughs> Which is so, so hilariously less than this amount of players that Nottingham Forest have brought in. <clears throat> if anybody can make it work, I agree with you. I think it's Steve Cooper who famously has just brought in loads of loans, which is one of the reasons why they have to sign as many players in the first place. Um, but he also did it when he was at Swansea as well, obviously with his connections from from being in England's youth youth setup. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna abstain. This is this is a this is a, this is an NA for me. I, I totally see all of your points. I have a lot of reservations. Of course, they're entirely based on historical precedent, which eventually mm. is broken. This could be that. This could be no. If if you do the scouting right, if you have a manager that's capable of integrating players super quickly, if you have a system that isn't so complex that every individual player needs like two months of drilling to learn their role, Conte, um, then, 
then maybe maybe it's fine. I I'm I'm hesitant. Um, Steve man- Cooper is the Welsh Conte. <laughs> we don't have time to get into that. But um, but now we'll head into talking a little bit about Southampton. Um, where it's technically supposed to be the one I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to be honest with you here, Dave. Uh, you probably know way more about these players than I do. Like, Lavia seems to be the headliner of the City Quartet, but uh, just based on his performances this season. But yeah, what, what did you make of this window? This is really close to a perfect window for a club like Southampton. This is them getting back to what they should be doing, which is recruiting elite young players to develop, sell, and reinvest. So they signed Gavin Basunu. They needed a, a goalkeeper. So going into the summer, uh, I had them needing starting keeper, starting attacking midfielder, starting striker, backup keeper, backup centre-back, backup central midfielder. So six needs. Now, I didn't, I didn't foresee what they would do. They bring in... Armel Belakotchup, who's outstanding and has already taken to the, the league like a fish to water. He's been tremendous. He's been so good that he took Bednarak's place and Bednarak left the club. So that tells you the impact he has. To fill that goalkeeping spot, they bring in Gavin Basuna, who's Ireland's number one. He was on loan at Portsmouth last year. He is an excellent young goalkeeper with a big, big upside. They bring in Joe Aribo from Rangers, who's one of the most unusual players in the world. Mm. He's not quick, he's not strong, but he's ridiculously skillful. And he's tall, and he just manages to get where he needs to be. Reminds me a bit of, of Ilicic in how he can just put a ball under a spell and weave his way past people despite not seeming to do anything to weave his way past them. Um, You mentioned Lavia. I mean, that is an unbelievably good signing. And at 18, he is already dominating Premier League games. And he's been so good. He's come in as a a backup, immediately taken a first-team spot, and Ariel Romeo has left the club. Then they brought in... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Uh, Sekou Mara, young attacking player with just outrageous ability on the ball, seems to have a, an incredible shot on him that he doesn't need much backlift for. Really good passer of the ball as well. And then they went they went a bit nuts on deadline day. Uh, they bring in Duja Kaletakar, 
who can play in a three or a two, so he can be a backup, or he could start between Belakotchev and Salisu, which I think is potentially the long-term plan. They bring in Juan Larios, a young left-back from City, who's very, very highly regarded. Samuel Adozi is a winger from City who's an elite-level prospect. I'm really surprised City let him go. Early in the summer, Bayer Leverkusen tried to buy him, and City weren't open to selling. They were going to loan him. But he seems to have forced the issue. He's gotten a move to Southampton. And then they bring in Ainsley Maitland-Niles, on a loan, no risk, proven Premier League operator, can play both fullback spots, but obviously more comfortable in midfield, can play as a holder or as a, a box-to-box player. I think this is an absolutely tremendous window. And I think they cleared out a bunch of sort of older, overpaid players that weren't going to contribute, the likes of Shane Long, Fraser Forster, Nathan Redmond gone today, Bednarak. Jan Valery, Ariel Romeo, Jack Stevens, lads that were earning decent wages had been there a long time and had sort of stagnated themselves. The only thing I feel that they've left themselves short is a starting striker, a number nine, someone to get them the goals. They had Brohia last season, and obviously he left when he went, but his when his loan ended and went back to Chelsea. I think they needed to replace him. I think they should have gone in for Ben Brereton Diaz, who the yeah. right age profile, the right type of striker, I think, for their team, has an existing relationship with Armstrong because the two of them played together at Blackburn and were outstanding. So I'm giving them an A. It would be an A plus if they'd gotten that striker. I think it's a tremendous window. The players they brought in, I, I see massive room for growth. In Bazunu, Mara, Lavia, Bella Kotchup, Larios, Edozi, and Matthias Lees, the backup keeper they brought in. I think it's a great window. And um, it's it's been done at a very good prices. Like the most expensive player, I think, was Bazunu, who was 12.6 million. Hmm. Now, unless Coletta Carr was more than that, but I don't think he was, that's the most expensive signing. I think it's a great window. Yeah, I guess my only question with this one was, and we've talked about this before, that Southampton do keep buying young players and then expecting uh, Hasenhutl to get performances now when they're clearly buying players to be good like two plus years from now. Do you think this squad, despite all their future potential, are still good enough for him to make it through the year and keep them up? That is the question. Like, you do need to have some experienced heads, but they've got Stuart Armstrong, Alan Armstrong, James Ward-Prowse. Who they did keep, although I'm not sure if they they would have been better served selling this I think they should have sold him. I think they should have cashed in. Uh, They've got Kyle Walker-Peters. He's one they'll cash in on probably next summer Mm. because Tino Livermento will be the long-term right back at the club, or at least by long-term, I mean, you know, the next three years. Um. Yeah, they do lack a little bit of experience. That is that is without question. But maybe for Hasenhutl, with how he plays and how he wants his team to set up, maybe it's easier to convince young players to buy in. Maybe it's easier to get that high-pressing intensity out of young players mm. for prolonged periods of time. But the one thing I'd say is, if they were to go down, 
I think Basunu, Mara, Lavi, Abella, Kotchop, Salisu, Tino Livramento, Larius, Idozi, those type of players that they want to be sort of the foundation stones for their next great Southampton team, I think all of them can go down with you. I don't know, maybe Lavia because of how impressive he's been, but I don't know that any of the rest would turn their nose up at playing a season in the championship. Mm. And you could sell the like of the likes of Ward Prowse and Walker Peters, who'll still have big value, reinvest that in four or five more elite young players, go down, get a year's like a year in the championship for a young player is probably worth two years in the Premier League because it's a proper grind. 46 games, less less high-end pitches, referees let a little bit more go. You get a lot of players that will look at you as a, you know, a big, talented young player and maybe they're frustrated that they've maxed out at the championship level mm. and they'll try and be physical with you. So, like, I look at the likes of Michael Elise and Eberichi and players like that and see how good the championship was for them in their development. So in the long haul, it might not be a bad thing for Saints if they did go down, reinvest a bit more off the back of the, the two big sales they could instantly make. Like if they put Walker Peters on the market now, they'd easily get 30 million from. Yeah. And I think Ward Prowse probably brings around the same. Now, I'm not a big Ward Prowse fan. I think he's elite set piece taker and bang average in, in play but he'll still have value. Um, but you reinvest that in four more, four, four or five more players, and all of a sudden you'd be coming up with a hell of a squad yeah. because their scouting seems to be on point now. Um, so, Which yeah, is interesting because it's been great, then it wasn't good, now yeah. it's very good again. Fascinating it's a, stuff. It's such a strange <laughs> thing. I know their, their former director of football left and took a lot of the recruitment staff and went to Rangers and it is noticeable that Rangers recruitment hasn't been great. So I, I don't know whether he's taken the wrong people with him mm. or what the situation is. But the new head of recruitment that they brought in, uh, they brought him from City. So he's obviously got great contacts there. And that makes a lot of those City them. sightings make a lot more sense. Yeah, he's been able to use it because he was in charge of youth recruitment at, at City. Do you know, so he, he knows all these players. He worked with all these players in the academy. So he knows them well. I think it's a great window. I, I know what you're saying, but I think I think Southampton, there's a place in the food chain for everybody, and they know that their place is to develop young players, sell them on to the bigger clubs, reinvest, and rinse and repeat. And that's, I think, what they've done. Yeah. All right, well, now we'll move on to... Ta oh, I didn't give them a grade because I didn't know enough about them. I don't know. Based on what you said, I'll give them a B plus. <laughs> um, moving on to Tottenham, though. Um, if you had asked me to grade this window in July, I probably would have given it an A+. Plus. Um, and the signings should be enough to cope with all four competitions, including the Champions League, including the fact that there's now, now five subs. But I can't help but feel that Spurs were like two signings away from being like, genuine title contenders. Um, Bastoni chose to stay at Inter. There's not much you can do about that. That was like the name going into the summer that we wanted to sign. He hasn't had the hottest start in Italy, by the way, but that was like the move is get somebody that can play as the central option in a back three or the left-sided option in a back three that can distribute, that's good in the air, all that stuff that makes Bastoni one of the best young center backs in the world. Um, but yeah, if he's not interested in leaving Italy or, or the club right now, again, hard to do that. 
the second option was Gavardiol, uh, and his price tag is higher than it probably should be. But he's obviously incredibly talented and still only like 20 or something absurd like that. But I think if we had signed Bastoni and Malinowski, I think that's a genuine title-threatening side. Whether you win it or not, you know, who's to say? But adding that one more attacking player, adding that one more center back, I think really would have really would have been huge for us. But regardless, still very good business. I think it really solidifies us as a top four favorite at least. Um, in total, six senior signings um, for, for this window. One loan turned into permanent, which is obviously Cristiano Romero, who is amazing. Um, and and we, we talked about how hype I am on him on the last one. I will not need to restate that claim. If you want to hear it, listen to our end of season review from the last time. But he's a very good center back. Um, and then the other one was Destiny Udogi, who uh, we bought from Udinese and then immediately loaned back and already has two goals in, in Serie A this year. So overall, I think this is really, really good business. Um, of that group, it's probably just four regular starters. Perisic, Richarlison, Basuma, and Longley. Um, I like the pairing of the first two together so much because like buying Perisic and Richarlison in the same window shows such, it is like so showing your hand of how you're expecting to build up play, which is like, ah, we don't need to worry about the midfield. Perisic will attack up the left. He can cross with either foot equally well. He can create two inches of space whenever needed to get that cross in. And then you bring in Richarlison who, when we were first linked to him, I wasn't very excited about and then started diving into to some of his statistics and some of his matches and realized that a quarter of his Premier League goals have come via the air. And I was like, oh, I see. You want Richarlison, or you want uh, Perisic to whip it across and Richarlison to head it in. And very fortunately, timing-wise, that's what happened in the two goals that, that uh, Spurs scored midweek against Marseille in their Champions League win. So I really like that pairing together. Um, Basuma's an interesting one. Because uh, I think a lot of Spurs fans wish that we would have signed a more attacking midfielder rather than a player that has a lot of the skills that our midfielders already possess. But I do think he's he's more rounded than some of them. He's probably going to be used more in the Bentoncourt role than than the Hoybier one, which is, I think, where Skip is ultimately going to end up. But um, loved him as a player. Haven't seen the best of him yet. Not sure when he'll overtake um, just because Bentancourt is like really reliable. I think the weird thing about Spurs midfield is like Bentancourt and Hoybier are uninspiring as a pairing, but you really feel them missing when someone else plays. Um, so we'll see if Basuma is able to break in now, but, but for the fee we got him for, obviously for dubious reasons that we were able to get him as cheap as we did, um, still a really good signing and obviously offers depth, which allowed us to to loan out Winks and should have allowed us to loan out Papa Matosar, but that's a different issue for another day. Um, but anyway, yeah, really like that one as well. And Longley, I'm really fascinated by it. I'm curious your thoughts on this because I think he's a bit of a wild card because I think he is more technically gifted than Ben Davis. I think he's a better passer. I think he's more dynamic as a runner. I think he's better in the air. But I don't know if I think he's actually a better player or not. Like, he can fill the left side, he can fill the center side, which there are only, like, six center backs in the world that could play both roles in a Conte system. So he offers that as well. But yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts on, on if you think Longley, like those other three, will eventually supplant the, the current incumbent. I think Longley's a better footballer than Davies. I don't think he's a better defender than mm, Davies. That's a good way to put it. I think Davies is just more diligent in his defensive work, whereas Longley is a little bit spacey at times. 
Like he just switches off and there's no real understanding for it. Um, I quite like your window. I have to say, I do quite like it. Um, I had you guys needing seven players in total, uh, starting right wing back, starting two starting centre backs, one for the middle, one for the left, a starting central midfielder, a backup striker, a backup goalkeeper, and a future starting goalkeeper. Because I think you should be starting to plan for the days after Larice. So you get Jed Spence. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, he'll take a bit of time to settle in because it's it's one thing going from, you know, he he was definitely ready for the Premier League, but being ready for the Premier League and being ready for a top four team are different things. I'm not a huge Langley fan. I liked him at Seville. I I don't particularly think he he was helped at Barcelona. Mm. I don't think him and PK was ever a partnership that was going to work because I think you need an organizer in there with either of them. Like PK with Puyol was one of the best center backs in the world. PK without Puyol has always been overrated and has lived off the reputation he built up next to PK. Um, but in a back three, Langley might be fine. He might be fine. He might rediscover his best form. So it's, you know, it's a cheap flyer. Like you said, you went for Bastoni. He wasn't going to leave. You went for Guardiol. Red Bull didn't want to sell. <clears throat> and then when Tottenham, when, when, sorry, when Chelsea got involved, Red Bull just saw fucking money flying from the sky <laughs> and, and jacked the price up. Because you guys were talking to them and it was, a, they were looking for around 60 million. Yep. And then Chelsea get involved and all of a sudden they want 90 million because they've just seen Chelsea drop 75 on Wes Fafana. If I was running Spurs, I would be in constant contact with them though because I actually think he's the one who's perfect. Now, Bastoni's perfect as well. I just don't think Bastoni will leave Italy. Um, but Guardiola would be transcendent in this team. Mm. Uh, you know I'm not a fan of Eric Dyer. And I... I <laughs> I think he puts a ceiling on what you can do. Um, I think if you'd gotten in Guardiola and a centre-back to play that middle role with a higher ceiling, you could have been title contenders. Well, I, I, I think always thought we were going to sign De Vrij. Like, I thought that was like Same. the easiest deal yeah, to ever happen. He has gone off a cliff. He has. It got bad. Which is unfortunate. Now, he was never quick, but he is. He can't really move anymore. I love the signing of Basuma. Now, I know there was some questionable... He had a, a loss, uh, a legal case hanging over him. But from my understanding, having spoken to quite a reputable Tottenham journalist, you guys were told in advance that the, that that's going away. He has no case to answer here. Mm. And that's why you made the move. He also only had a year left in his contract. So obviously that helps. But 25 million for one of the better midfielders in the league is tremendous business. I want to see him play with Bentoncourt because I think that's the pairing that has the highest upside. Um, and thus far, I've only I've only seen him play with Heusberg. So I want to see him with Bentoncourt to see what that looks like. You brought in Perisic. I didn't think he was needed, but obviously I didn't foresee Regulon leaving, so it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Destiny Adoji, or, 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 or Go, Agoji, whatever his name is, the kid is, <laughs> the kid, the kid is a star in the making. He is an absolute sensation for that Udinese team this year. And to know that you guys are going to have him and a reinvigorated 
re-motivated Ryan Sessegnon. That's very exciting for the long-term future of you down the left with Jed Spence down the right. I think you overpaid for Richarlison. I said that yep. to you on part one, but I can see why you overpaid. I think he's worth £60 million to you because he's now the primary backup for Kane and for Son, and he can play with both of them, though I do think that front three misses what Kulisevsky brings. Agreed. But I think it's a very, very good window. I'm going to give it an A- minus because I don't think you've done enough to address the centre-back situation. But at the same time, this is an Antonio Conte back three. And this man won a league title in the Premier League with Pep Guardiola at City, with Jose Mourinho at United and with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, playing a back five of Victor Moses, who's awful, Marcus Alonso, who's never been more than average, Cesar Aspilicueta, who's five foot eight, <laughs> Gary Cahill playing the left-sided role, despite being one of the least flexible players I've ever seen. He's literally a tree. And then he had David Luiz in the middle. And David Luiz that year had a case to be footballer of the year because of Conte's system. You have a genius in charge. Yeah. So I actually think, I've said this on a couple of Liverpool podcasts, I actually think, I don't think you'll win the league this year, but even if we'd been, if we'd started well, there's definitely a world in which you finish second and we finish third. Mm. I think you're a level above the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's and, and the United's of the world. I think you're going to be a top three team this year. In large part because you've got a top three manager, but yep. also because there's a lot of talent there. And look, let's be honest. Let's be completely honest. You've got the best number nine on the planet. And the guy that plays next to him, in my view, is an even better footballer in Youngman's mm. son. I think he's one of the four or five best players in the league is Youngman's son. He's yeah. sensational. So when you've got two world-class forwards and Conte to sort defense. out your defence, yeah. you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. <laughs> You'll be top three. It's an A- minus for me. Yeah, I gave it an A- minus as well, and I think you make a lot of good points. Uh, my A- minus is more about the right-back, because I think I believe in long lay more than you do. And while I do really like the signing of... of um, totally just blanked on his name, because I played Jed Spence, thank you. Um, <clears throat> he, I, he's just not ready yet. And Emerson no, has played pretty well, but you might Emerson play Kulisewski well. there, which just happened in the Champions League, which would be really interesting. That's the thing, but Emerson's playing well. Like he, he is, is playing he is. well. I know he's not like he's just not people the here, Conte mold. Yeah, but people hear Brazilian fullback and they think, oh, he's going to be full of tricks and this and that. A big part of it is still being good defensively, and he has been good defensively. So, you know, you don't concede a whole lot of goals going down that side. I know he's got Romero behind him, yeah. but Romero seems to have a good relationship with him as well. Agreed. And you've got Doherty, who's you know, he wasn't a great sign. He was not a bad player. No, he was so, good for like four or five matches under Conte. Yeah, like suspense so can take time coming along. He doesn't need to be ready this year. He can yeah. be ready in if he's ready in March to make a contribution. That could be a big help because it could be a boost going into the the you know the business end of the season. So, all things considered, I, I think you've done well. You haven't spent ludicrous sums of money. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been any any panic buys. There's no Brian Hill uh, in this group. <laughs> I like that you've kept Matar Sar 
Yeah. And I hope that he'll get minutes in the domestic cups because he is a big, big talent. And yeah. if Conte gives him a chance, I think he might be someone that forces his way into the thinking. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, all right, we'll move quickly on to West Ham now, who had a pretty big uh, net spend, brought in some really interesting players. So I'm curious your thoughts on this one. I, this is another window that I think they've done very, very well. Now, there's one signing in particular I'm not keen on. Uh, I think Lucas... Oh, sorry, I'll start with what I had them needing. I had them needing seven players. Um, starting goalkeeper, starting left-back, starting centre-back, starting striker, two backup central midfielders, and a backup right-winger. Now, they bring in Lucas Paqueta as sort of their their big marquee signing, who doesn't really fit into any of those areas, but he is an upgrade on everybody in the squad. He is the, the best player at that club now. And for West Ham to get him is a remarkable coup for the club. Uh, I love the signing of Skamaka, but I think he'll take a bit of time to settle, and I think they'll have to adapt the way they play a little bit. They're going to have to find ways to get more crosses into the box, rather than those kind of longer diagonal balls that they're prone to playing. Uh, Naif Agard, the, le- the left-sided centre-back they brought in, I think is excellent. They paid quite a lot for him, though, $31 million. It's a bit pricey, but he fills a big need for them. Um, I'm not a big fan of Emerson Palmieri at all, and I think $13 million is a bit a bit rich for what I view as a fairly average player. Is he an upgrade on Aaron Cresswell? Probably a little bit, but Cresswell's not very good. I like the signing of Flynn Downs. I think he's a solid citizen. But if they'd added Onana that went to Everton, I, if they'd added Onana, this would be the best window that anyone's had, in my view, because they would have had Skamaka, Agard, Paqueta, and him. And that's just off the charts, in my view. Um, I love the signing of Max Cornet. Love the signing. Because... They needed a backup for Bowen. He can be the backup for Bowen. He can also play left side. He can cover at left back if you need. He can play up front. He'll play in a two or by himself. You can switch to 4-3-3 and he can play anywhere across the line. He's just a super versatile player who proved that he belongs in the league last year when he was at Burnley in a bad Burnley team. Again... I think it's a, a tremendous window. The only thing they didn't add was that second backup central midfielder. But I'm not going to knock them too much. It's an A. It's an A window for me. I, I think it's a, a great window. Yeah, I think Skubaka is one of the most West Ham signings of all time. Um, just the the general aesthetic, the play style, all that stuff. That that one made a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I, the Cornet thing, I I am really fascinated by. I did see somebody who's like, maybe he just really likes maroon and light blue. I know it's clear and blue. Get off my back. Um, but um, yeah, I do agree. I think that's that's a great signing as well. Um, the Lucas Paqueta one, I was a little surprised by. Um, I know Jake was really confident that Newcastle were in there because he's really good friends with Gimaresh. I know Spurs were were in there, but then kind of decided against having a number 10, which I guess makes sense. It doesn't exist in our usual formation, which probably makes that a bit of a tough sell. Yeah, I, I don't understand why you Spurs fans were calling for James Madison. Yeah, also, it was all of them. It was all the tens. They wanted you play. they wanted Ericsson back. They wanted Paqueta. Um, I know there was a, a lot of um, 
<laughs> requests for I uh, now I'm just entirely blanking on another name the the other Leon attacking midfielder that was better two years ago than he was now oh Hossi Maurer yep thank you so you put any of them in the team and they don't and you play? have to leave one of the front three out right yeah it's it's uh it's weird that they wanted that I I think people just miss like the play entering the final third and now it's mostly crosses or dribbling into the final third, beating your man with pace or stuff like that, rather than passing through it. And I just think that's more what Tottenham expects from their play style. But, you know, uh, Conte's won trophies, so, you know, let's, let's see that. But, yeah, I, I agree. I was just a little surprised that after hearing for a while that Paqueta seemed to be kind of be like Newcastle or Tottenham about that he wound up at West Ham. And after, like, the day before they signed him... Aulis, who's just a wild quote at all times, was like, there's a bigger club in for him. I don't know if he's going to West Ham. And then he announced, like, at daybreak the next day for West Ham, which was a a bit odd. But yeah, I I think this is a really strong window. I don't know if they're going to be better this year, though. It feels like they maybe overachieved a little bit next year, or last year. This year, they'll need to settle a little bit, and then they'll be better in 23-24. I don't know if that's a fair assessment. That's just kind of the vibe I get. But um, yeah. Overall, I think the the amount of talent that they've added is huge. It's now just down to Moist to make sure this wasn't like West Ham windows of the past where they bring in really huge name players like Haller and then it doesn't work out. So, yeah, I think it's a good window on paper. And then, yeah, hopefully uh, for their sake, it'll be better. For my sake, if they struggle, that's fine. Um, I think you might be right about taking like a small step back to take two big steps forward. mm. Um, I just hope that their fans don't get too don't yeah. turn too much on Moyes because Moyes has done incredible work there and he deserves a little bit of patience. Yep, very much agree. Um, and then we will wrap up with Wolves. Um, this is one of the weirder windows for me. Um, the the one thing that's obvious is that this was meant to be the changing of the guard from the Nuno period, which obviously ended over a year ago, to the Bruno period. Um, Boley, Sais, Cody, Dendonker, and even Gibbs-White all sent off Gibbs White didn't play as much under Nuno, but obviously was like the up-and-coming youth prospect that they got some minutes, um, which I, I think probably needed to happen, but that's that's a lot of players that were in your first 11 two years ago um, to now be gone. Um, and I think all of them to a T went to other Premier League clubs, which is really, I don't think we see that all that much, like everybody that left stayed in league. Um, but anyway, I, I think Collins is definitely an improvement to their back line. Um Guedes and Nunez are also improvements, although they come with that like Portuguese caveat of why they're there. But I think they're both very good players and improve them in attack. Uh, the other big thing for them was supposed to be signing Kaladzic, but uh, obviously tore an ACL. Was it his first or his second training session? First game. First oh, game. it was the game. He, he got injured oh. and then he tried to play on and he went off at half time and they took a scan and realized he'd torn his ACL. Brutal. Yeah, brutal stuff. And you mentioned like the amount of center backs that he could have dominated in the Premier League is uh, significant with with his size. I think the specific one was Lissandro Martinez. Mm. Sorry, United fans, for the random stray. Uh, we're talking about Wolves. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't know if it's official yet, but it seems like they're about to sign Diego Costa, um, which I don't think you can really expect much of anymore. Um, but we were just talking uh, on the... Um, on the main show, the EPL Roundtable uh, with Thomas, who comes on to talk about Wolves, <clears throat> about something that I hadn't personally noticed, which is that Raul Jimenez stopped heading the ball. Yeah. Like, period. Which is understandable after, after the head trauma that he had. But that was such a big part of his game and the way that Wolves built up play. 
Um, that obviously that that's that's why you go out and you sign Kladzic. Can Diego Costa still be a menace in the box and get up in the air and head the ball in, or at least be a threat to to open up some of the the shooting lanes for for Neves from distance and stuff like that? Maybe. I, I, it's hard for me to ding them for that, though. Like, you identified the right target, and he just got hurt super early. Just super unfortunate. Um, but yeah, that, that's weird. Um, this is kind of just like a C for me on the whole. It, Like I said, it feels weird to me. I don't feel like they got, like, loads better, but I don't think they got worse. I don't. They're definitely not going down. They're probably not in the European spots, which might be disappointing to them after it looked like they were going to be able to push for that, you know, maybe... March, April time, but by May that that opportunity had gone. Yeah, it's kind of a shrug for me. I, I but I'd assume that you like this window more than me because they moved on players that I know you don't like. Yes, we have we we are finishing on <laughs> quite a big disagreement here. Um, the only of the players they let go, I think they've made two mistakes. One is Gibbs White, who I would have moved heaven and earth to keep. Because at his age, with his talent and the profile of the player, I think he, he could have been a huge part of their team. And I think they made a mistake letting Ruben Venegro go. Now, I know why they let him go, because they have Rayan Nuri, who's one of the best young left-backs in the world. But mm-hmm. you could have had two exceptionally good young left-backs competing for that role. But if he wanted to leave, he wanted to leave. I, I, I can see the sense in moving Den Donker with one year left in his deal, and he didn't look like he was going to renew. Uh, moving on, Willie Bolly made sense. Moving on, Patrick Catrone made sense. Same thing with Romain Sice, Mark Hall. These were high-earning players. They have slashed their wage bill here. Um, I think they were right to loan out all the players they did. Now, in hindsight, obviously, the Fabio Silva one has hurt them because of the injury to, to Kalasic. But, you know, you have to get Conor Cody out of there. Because you were changing to a four. You wanted to start this new partnership in a new era. You've got Collins and Kilman, And you've got a couple of decent, um, young, promising backups who will get their opportunities now. And if things go badly, you don't have your club captain sitting there being a distraction, have, have people clamoring for him. You just have a squad of players that this manager wants to work with. And that's the most important thing is that Bruno Lage got the squad he wanted to work with. Those are the centre-backs um, would be Toti, the Portuguese, who's very highly regarded, and Mosquera, who's really highly regarded but missed most of last season with a thigh injury. So now you've got four good young centre-backs who all work in a four. You've got your full-backs in Aitnuri and Semedo, and you've got Johnny who can play both sides. So you're pretty much set in defence. got Jose Sa, so you're happy enough with your with your keeper. Um, they brought in Sarkic, who's an, you know, he's been around a while. I think people um, people know what to expect from him if he's called upon. So, you, you know, you're set there. I love the signing of Nathan Collins for them. I think it's a great get. Mm. I, I'm but, shocked Burnley let him go. They don't really, they didn't really need the money in the championship. I, I just no. figured he'd be part of their building block. Yeah, but I mean, when someone offers you twenty million for a player you signed for twelve a year before, <laughs> sure, you, you probably take it, you know. And um, I, I think he's got a huge future. I mean, look, he he put Harry Kane in his pocket for eighty nine minutes and fifty five seconds <laughs> and just mis misjudged a corner. Mm. That's 
that's how they are like they outplayed you. They were the better team against you. Yep. As they often are when we play but them. He he gambled on the initial trajectory of the ball. Perisic got the flick on and Kane knew what was coming and, and scored. So I mean that's why Harry Kane is great, because he anticipates things so well. But I, I love the signing of Collins. Um I like the signing of Guedes. I, I did think they needed centre back, defensive centre back, midfielder, right winger, striker, and a backup keeper. Now Guedes will likely play on the left, but that just means Neto plays on the right, so that's fine. Guedes is really talented, but it's a matter of can you get consistency out of him? That's been the big knock on him. They get their striker in, in Sasa. You can't knock them just because he got hurt. I mean it. It's a really good signing. He fits the profile of what they needed. I noticed with Raul Jimenez the heading thing as well. And I've also noticed that in his last outing, he was wearing a different head protector that only seemed to have yeah. a thick piece on the side where he got the injury. So I'm wondering, was it that that was making it nearly impossible for him to head the ball? And that's why he's changed to this new kind of protective uh, unit. Um, they bring in Bubakar. Traore from Mets on a loan with an option to buy next summer. Really talented midfielder. He was in the Mets team with Papa Matar Sar, and the two of them were excellent together. But their signing of the summer is Matthias Nunes. I do not understand how he's ended up at Wolves. Mm. He He's everything Liverpool need. And Liverpool sat by and watched him go to Wolves. And the funniest part about our window, which obviously I, I slated, was we tried to buy too many. We offered 60 million and we ended up getting gazumped because Real came in and offered stupid money on top of that. But we could have turned round and bought Nunes and Yves Basuma at that point for a combined 63 million based on what they went yeah. for. And we would have had our midfield would have been set. We would have had those two, Fabinho, Thiago, Naby Keita, Henderson and Curtis Jones, and we'd have been set. Um, and we did nothing. I think Wolves did brilliantly to get him. I think the midfield with him, Neves and Moutinho, looks really good. Um, I really wanted to see the Gibbs-White, Neves, Nunes midfield. I thought that could have Which been they special. Would, but... would have needed like next year. Yeah, exactly, because Matinho's probably in his last year. Um, overall, the only thing they didn't get was a backup keeper, but they had uh, Sarkic. They just brought him back off alone. And they have a young keeper, Andreas uh, Sondegaard, who they're quite high on. Overall, I love the window for them. And I I'm delighted that they finally backed Bruno Lage because if you remember last summer, they did very little. Yeah. And they didn't really set him up for success. They brought in Trinkiao on loan. Muskira, who was cheap. Eight Nuri, who'd been there on loan. And that was basically it. Um, oh, and Huang. And they've made the Huang deal permanent as well, which we should include in this. Sure. So yeah, they, yeah. they spent money. They spent it well. I think they've bought all players who will improve and could be resold at profit. And I think it's an A-minus window. Yeah, I think the, the big difference between what we did was 
despite saying I wasn't going to, I think I discounted the Kaladzic signing at all because he's not going to play. And then, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. If you take him out, it's it's yeah, it's it's probably a B minus C because you'd be asking where are the goals coming from. Yeah, they did address that issue. He just got it, hurt. Yeah, he just got hurt, and and you can't hit them for it because it happened after the window closed. Yeah, they signed him in the last couple of days. He gets hurt after the window closes. And now they're left scrambling. They'll bring in Costa. Which is probably can, one of the best options they could have brought in. But I mean, it was him or Andy Carroll, so it had to be him. It yep. had to be him. <laughs> They'll just have to live in hope that Jimenez can find a bit of form. Yeah. And that maybe in January they can find... Or, or that Wang finds a bit of form. And maybe in January they can go and find a loan for a striker to come in and, and play a role for them. Yep. Um, which might be the case after the World Cup, you know? Agreed. All right, well, that wraps it up for us. That's all 20 clubs down. Ten more from this one. Again, if you hadn't listened to the first part first, uh, go do that. I mean, you can take a break in between the two if you want. But <laughs> Yeah, it <laughs> came out Friday, so you'll have this. That That's there ready to be listened to mm-hmm. after you listen to this. Yep, yep. So definitely check that out if you haven't. Uh, if you have and you just want to hear more of Dave, obviously check out the Two-Footed Podcast, which gets tweeted out daily from the EPL Index Twitter account. As for this show... Uh, you can obviously find it at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or in any of your, your platform stuff. Dave, anything else you'd like to plug on the way out? No, that's everything. Um, if you're a Liverpool fan, there's the Daily Red every day at uh, around lunchtime comes out on Anfield Index. So you, you get that. And then I do two-footed every day, which covers the, the whole league. Gotcha. Yep. And I'm uh, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. I already mentioned all the EPL roundtable stuff, but if you want to leave us a comment, letting us know what you thought about this series, or if you want to email us uh, <laughs> any any other stuff related to the show, you can do so by emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Dave, an absolute pleasure. See you in February <laughs> for yes. both you and the folks at home. And yeah, folks at home, we hope you keep listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 